Pastor's Heart and Dominic Steele. And thanks very much for joining us this afternoon. I'm speaking today with uh, Philip Jensen. Philip, the former Anglican Dean of Sydney and now heading up uh, Two Ways Ministries. Uh, and before we come to Philip, though, a little request for your partnership from us in the Pastor's Heart. It does cost us something to put this together. There's a little crew that work on it. And uh, it's not just that we'd appreciate your support. We need your support. And if you are benefiting from the Pastor's Heart, then please do go to patreon.com slash the pastor's heart and join the little band there and I reckon five dollars a month would be a great place to start. Uh, today we're th talking about focusing on what is important when actually all seems adrift. Uh, Philip Jensen thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure Dominic. Um, COVID-19 it's a massive disruption to Christian ministry but actually also there's potential massive advantages for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus. Yes. Uh, you can see a crisis with a glass half empty and for the mentor, you can see a crisis as an opportunity because you see the glass is half full. Christians should always be optimists because we know God's sovereign over the whole thing. So he's working his purposes out. So we should be looking for the opportunities. Can we just start with the sovereignty of God in all of this? And um, uh, what do you want to say on that? <laughs> Well, God is, God is the Lord of heaven and earth. We know that. If you only think God is the Lord of heaven and earth when things go well, uh, you've got a very limited view of God. I mean, it's uh, God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. But the good that he's at work at is to make us like Christ, and Christ is the man of sorrows. So <laughs> that you have difficulties that you have pain, sorrow, that you lay down your life and are crucified to get the gospel out, well, hey, that's what we signed up for. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. I mean, I, uh, the sovereignty of God must not be only seen in terms of I am happy, it is good. You know, that's not the way it works. God's sovereignty was the cross of Jesus. And yet... I take it, well, certainly in our situation, we're getting more questions about the sovereignty of God in this season than we've had in years. Yes, because we've got this very limited view of God's sovereignty in terms of seeing God as the one who does good things to make people happy. That kind of self-centred God we preach, God loves you, God's never angry. God's never judgmental. God's only ever loving, kind, welcoming, accepting. God, God is the, the is portrayed as the one who will welcome all people everywhere. No repentance, no judgment, no atonement, forgiveness freely available. That kind of God does not answer the reality of what the Bible teaches or the reality of life. We live under the judgment of God, and the judgment of God is sickness and death. That's where we're living, because he's angry with human sinfulness. So I think we'd say then the, the minister of Christ Jesus, who doesn't have an adequate view of the, the, the sovereignty of God, is really going to be struggling now, whereas the minister who actually has a confident view of the, the sovereignty of God is actually going to be able to move forward in ministry. If I remember the story correctly, it was the First World War that rocked Karl Barth and he went back and found Romans because the kind of uh, the kind of happy, optimistic positivism of liberalism, theological liberalism prior to the First World War could not make sense 
of the carnage that happened during the First World War. But the sinfulness of humanity finally came home by reading Romans. Mm. So what are the gospel opportunities, the half full, that you see at this point? Well, up until now, of recent times, because of wealth, because of individuals, and because of a whole range of things, we've been trying to minister to people who are uh, self-confident, autonomous, and time poor. The time poor has been one of the biggest difficulties. You invite people to come to church, they've got a thousand other things on, or they're recovering from the thousand things they've just done. Whereas now people are going to sit at home. They've got to sit at home. <laughs> they're not allowed to come out. So we've got opportunities to reach them. In the past, we couldn't reach them because they were hidden behind fences where they wouldn't answer the door if they were home. But now through this kind of medium that we're talking, you and I are talking about, we can actually be inside other people's homes. It's just a wonderful opportunity to talk to people who we haven't talked to for years, for decades. Yeah, I was talking with uh, our kids pastor this morning and I said, I wonder if we could run a kids club every afternoon of the week after school. And uh, we would never, I mean, I don't know if we'll be able to pull it off, but we would never have been able to have pulled it off in the olden days, uh, three weeks ago. <laughs> um, no. And yet no. parents are going to be stuck at home and just longing for somebody to interact with their kids by half past three in the afternoon. And if we can pull off the leaders, well, maybe we can, but the leaders don't have anything to do either. <laughs> yes. There's all kinds of people who now, unemployment is a dreadful thing, Hey there are people that are going to be unemployed. And so to give them some things to do in Christian ministry, it's a marvellous opportunity. Now, what about mindset shift, uh, mind shift changes? Because I feel like this is a bigger mind shift change to the Australian psyche than September 11 or the GFC, which, I mean, September 11 actually did make a difference, but this feels bigger. Oh, yes, it's much bigger. Well, it's much closer to Australians to start with. September 11 is what happens in New York. Um, and the GFC hardly touched Australia. It did do people suffered. But of the countries of the world, Australia suffered almost the least through the GFC. And, you know, I saw people pull their belts in, but we didn't see lines of people outside the unemployment offices. Not like we're seeing Whereas today. we've now got, yeah. we've got lines of people outside unemployment offices. People who haven't been unemployed for years are now suddenly facing unemployment. And GFC and, and uh, 2011, you know, the 9-11 didn't get me to have to stay at home. Hmm. Whereas shift, I haven't been out for three weeks. The shift from individualism to community. Yeah, it's huge. Since the Second World War, as we've grown in wealth, so we've grown in individualism. When you're poor, you can't afford to be an individualist. You need your neighbours and your neighbours need you. And when you're out in the country, you can't afford to be an individualist really either. So the bushfires, the, the communities gathered together, people looked after each other, opened up community halls and cared for each other, etc. But that's because they're living in the country. They're living... You know, Cabargo had 300 people. They all knew each other. 
people worked with each other. They lived with each other. They went to school with each other. Whereas in the city, hey, you know, you and I have been friends for 30 or 40 years and we see each other once every six months. I mean, if I drop out of your world, you drop out of my world, you know, it's not the end of the world for either of us. And so city-dwelling wealthy, inner-city-dwelling wealthy people have been talking about community, 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 but they don't commune, commune, commune. They never meet with each other. And the word community now means I I agree, I read the same newspaper. I was down in the shops the other day, I'm walking past the shops on my exercise, and there's this sign, a shop sign, you know, we apologise to our community to our community for not being able to serve you. Oh, that's funny. I always thought I was a customer. But now I've suddenly turned out to be a community or part of a community. I mean, it's a community in which I don't know the person's name. They don't know my name. The only thing we have in common was coffee, which they serve me once every six months. But I'm part of that community. That's a non-community. That's individualism. We've lost the sense of community and lost it since the Second World War, since the 40s and 50s. So do you think there's a chance of it coming back then? Well, yes, in terms of right now. We're going to be six months like this. We've had neighbours contact us who have never contacted us before. Um, And, you know, I live in apartment block. Apartment blocks, one of the rules are never talk to anybody except in the garage or over the garbage bins, you know. But now people are actually putting signs up in the lift saying if you need help shopping or something, you know, ring us. And it's a new thing is happening. Mm. If we return to our wealth, won't take long, we'll return to our individualism as well. Well, you'd probably say that in terms of there was a sense that we... We felt a little of that at the time of the bushfires in January. We moved a little to community, but then by the time February had started, we'd forgotten it. Well, certainly in the city you had, in the city I had. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry for the people in Cabago. It's a nice little town. Helen and I call and have coffee there on our holidays because we holiday further south from there. And so, you know, we uh, always have it. I felt sorry for them, but not deeply, not inconveniently sorry, whereas now it's inconvenient and it's going to be inconvenient not just for a couple of days. It's This is a longer news cycle than the news cycle generally is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going I to go for six months. Or yeah. How, what, how quickly do we recover after the six months? That's hard to tell. See, in the 1940s, Rationing was still operating right up in oil. It, rationing didn't finish till the 1950s. So the idea of having ration tickets to get your tea or to get your butter or to get your meat and people lending each other rationing tickets and things like that, working together to help get the food supply, that was a community world. And the old fellas are really, the people who can remember those days, are really cranky about hoarders, about people stripping shops of toilet paper and things like that, because that's not how we got through the Second World War. 
and the Second World War shortages didn't finish till 1950, five years after the war. It was a, that was that was communal living. Mm. Um, well, as we do this, we've seen uh, a big shift also in terms of um, submission and defiance. So we were much more autonomous, and we're actually submitting to the government in a way I can't remember. Yes, well, it's, it's, again, fascinating. Old people understand submission because we've submitted to the government in previous occasions. The young people of Bondi, the backpackers, <laughs> the, the backpackers here in Coogee, the, the people who want to climb over fences in order to go to their beach because it's their beach, that kind of autonomy is what's, is what's driven our society for the last 25, 30, 40 years. And suddenly to have it taken away is astonishing. And the word submission has been a dirty word. We mustn't use that word, especially those of us who date weddings. You're not allowed to use that word because the concept of a community always is a concept that requires some people submitting to others, whether it's the minority submitting to the majority, like in democracy, or the worker submitting to the boss, as in most employment situations. But of recent years, um, the, the millennial conflict at work has come by millennials not believing in submitting to bosses and bosses not understanding workers who don't submit to them. They may submit unhappily, but they submit. But now they've got workers who are saying, you've got no rights. You're bullying me because you're asking me to do something. And you think, well, that's that will be shot to pieces now because... We as a society cannot beat this COVID-19 acting like that. You know, it just it can't happen. We've got to do what the boss says. And we elected him. We mightn't like him, but we elected him. He's got to make the decisions. So he's got all the experts, but all the experts give them expert advice that's different. Ultimately, you have a politician who has to weigh up the economist's advice and the doctor's advice and the scientist's advice and the, the social worker's advice and make a decision. And if we don't submit to that decision, we're going to undermine our own society. Materialism and just expecting I'm in charge is completely turned on its head through all of this. Absolutely, yes. Yes, that's the autonomy. See, all these things were, were anti-Christian. Autonomy, materialism, individualism, they're all the opposite of the gospel. Not totally in the sense that we are individually responsible to God. God has created the material world for us to enjoy. But yet, as it was expressed in our culture up until two months ago, it was anti-Christian. Now it's being shown to be inadequate in the face of real life and death. There's a gospel message that we should be bringing to the world. In um, a couple of years or 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I led a mission trip down to Huskisson and we were down at Huskisson and I was talking to the minister there and he said, it's hard to persuade people of, to long for heaven when it feels like you live here. And really, Australia's had it so good 
that it's almost felt like we're living in heaven. Whereas it just feels like that's going to change and the promise of heaven is going to be a much more significant thing for people. That certainly will be the case in Italy right now. If Australia is able to flatten the curve so that we do not see the large number of deaths because our hospitals are able to cope with the serious cases, then I'm afraid Australia still won't feel it. But if we, are, if we can't flatten the curve and our hospitals are overwhelmed and there aren't enough ventilators for old folks and people start dying at a rate of a 1,000 a day, that's got to change the way you think about paradise. So when I, when I see those places in Syria that have been shelled and you see these building after building that are just kind of, yeah, just burrowed out emptiness, you can see why people would think, this is the end of the world, God help me. But Australia, we're going to keep living in very nice houses with nice views and nice cars outside. And unless there's a massive amount of death, when we come out the other side, we'll pick up the pieces pretty quickly and think we're back in heaven again. Mm. So what do you want to say to the preacher now? As I mean, <laughs> to the extent that we are preaching to people now, what's your advice? Oh, I mean, there are certain things from a social point of view and responsible point of view that we need to explain that we should submit to the government because that is a right and proper thing to do. And we should not be amongst the citizens who are in defiance of government directions at this time in particular. Likewise, we should be the people who express love to our neighbours and seek to do whatever good we can. And thirdly, in that regard, we should be looking to make friends with neighbours. One of my colleagues said they went visiting the neighbourhood, just dropping in saying, if you need help, contact us. Just up and down the street, met people they'd never met before living in the same street who really were glad to spend time talking to them. And so this is an opportunity to get out amongst literally neighbours up and down your street or in your block of units and let yourself be known to people and offer to help them and offer to exercise love so we don't love just in principle but in reality and not just the people we like and know but our neighbours, whoever they may be. However, what the gospel message is at this point, I think, is to point out the inadequacy of our society. We believe in human sinfulness. Look what's happened on the toilet paper wars. There's human sinfulness at work. People greedy, fearful, self-centred. That's the nature of what we are preaching against. And when our Prime Minister says it's un-Australian behaviour, he's living in the 1950s. It's not un-Australian behaviour. It's very Australian behaviour to be interested in yourself. Self-centeredness is what our society has been on about for ages and we've got to stop it. So you're really talking about 
using this as a moment to, to prick those bubbles of self-confidence that the Australian society has had. Yep. Yep. And find the opportunities through whatever Zoom or whatever mechanism you've got to offer to read the Bible with people one-to-one. You know, they're in your their apartment, you're in your apartment, but why don't we read the gospel together? You know, 20 minutes a day, let's just read the Bible together and be in touch with each other that way. Open up opportunities for Christian conversation with people. And, Philip, um, what parts of the scriptures particularly would you say advisable to read with people in this season? I'm always keen to get people to come to Jesus and to the gospel. So a bloke, you know, we were dealing with the other day, looked like he's become a Christian. I hope he has. What was his last question that he had, the last difficulty of his mind to grasp hold of? It was, isn't it enough just to be good? You know, the vast majority of Australians still do not understand that Jesus died to pay for sins so that we can be forgiven fully and completely. They still think they've got to be good enough to get to heaven. And so I've got to keep on banging on that drum, which is kind of, you think, well, there's so many intellectual issues I should be handling. There are so many anxiety issues I should be handling. I actually need to help them understand that Jesus' death is sufficient for the sins that he has paid for, that that you need to come to him in repentance and faith. And so we spend a lot of time on apologetics when we should spend more time just on the gospel. Um, so, you know, taking people through a gospel like Mark's gospel or John's gospel seems to me a great way to go. But the evangelist will find the gospel in any part of the Bible, won't he? Philip Jensen, thanks very much for joining us this afternoon on The Pastor's Heart. Thanks for having me again. You've been watching The Pastor's Heart, Dominic Steele with you, and uh, we'll be back at the same time next Tuesday afternoon. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.